Welcome to Word of Grace, a local assembly in the Berkshires. Thank you for joining us for this time in the Word. Exodus 12, verse 1, it says, And the Lord spoke unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month will be unto you the beginning of months. It will be the first month of the year to you. Speak you unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they will take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man, according to his eating, will make your count for the lamb. Your lamb will be without blemish, a male of the first year. You will take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and you will keep it up until the 14th day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel will kill it in the evening. And they will take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the house, houses, wherein they will eat it. And they will eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they will eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs, and the pertinence thereof. And you will let nothing of it remain until the morning. That which remains of it until the morning you will burn with fire, and this will be, thus will be, thus will you eat it. And with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you will eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods, all the gods of Egypt, all of those of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood will be to you for a token upon the house where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague will not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And of course, this is all tremendous types here. Every single thing here in, in the types. Now, again, as the Holy Spirit gave it to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 7, it makes it very clear when it says that Christ is our Passover. He was our Passover. So notice that we read there in that first chapter, in that 12th chapter, in those first few verses, that judgment was going to result uh, judgment was going to come, and as a result, there would be death. There would be the death of the firstborn. But also what was, was spoken was that, that would, there would be God's deliverance. And that was in the Passover blood. Again, we read that in 1 Corinthians 5, uh, 7 and 8. And I'll just read that very quickly in 1 Corinthians 5. Uh, 7 and 8, so we can get a great understanding of the types and and what God would have for us uh, tonight. So, 
in 1 Corinthians 5, and I'll get there soon. In 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, it says, Purge out, therefore, the old leaven. Of course, we know the leaven, all through the Bible, it speaks of sin. That's why when we see in 1 Corinthians 5, 6, and Galatians 5, 9, and several other places, that leaven speaks of sin. A little leaven, just a little, a little bit, leavens the whole lump. So Paul, through the Holy, the Holy Spirit, through Paul, says, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Notice that? Christ, our, pa our Passover, has been slain, the Greek says, has been slain for us. Do we ever wonder about God's love? Is that something that he ever wants us to wonder about? When his own son was slain as a sacrifice, and Paul again says it in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for God made him to be the sin sacrifice for us <laughs> who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And even here, Christ, look at what it says. He is our Passover. Christ, our Passover is slain for us. Listen, is God for us? Is he for us? Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, not with old thoughts, not with thoughts that are outside of who God is. 1 John 4, 8 and 1 John 4, 16, God is love. God is for us. God, his love, is for us. So then let us keep the reality and truth of the feast. Let's commune with him, with his thoughts about his son that he gave and was slain because God was for us. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19, God was in Christ. Oh, yeah. God the Father and Jesus Christ the same in one and in agreement. The Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit witnessing to it. And Matthew 3, 17, witnessing in 3, 16 and 17. And in Acts 2, Verse 23, there was a council with the Trinity and they were all one in it in the reality that God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are for us. <laughs> He's for us. And he never changes. He never changes his mind ever so let us keep that feast let us keep the truth and commune not with old leaven 
neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened, unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I want to touch on these verses very soon about what it means to have light, the light of God's love, and how it is so pure and purifies us even as he is pure in that pure love for us. But in back to Exodus, the 12th chapter, remember, again, there was going to be, as a result of judgment, death. Death of the firstborn. But again, there was going to be God's deliverance. God's deliverance through the Passover blood. The Passover blood there is to be that what the Holy Spirit gave Paul is to be the Christian memorial feast. That's what it's to be. We are to commune constantly with the truth and the reality of what Christ has accomplished to his Father on our behalf. And so the Passover lamb, what the Passover lamb figures is Christ himself. And as that blood that was sprinkled on the two doorposts and the lentil, where the hyssop, which would speak of faith and dependence, would dip itself in the blood of the innocent victim and strike the two side posts and the lentil. Those that would be inside the death angel would pass over it. And that blood that sheltered them figures in Colossians 1 verse 20, the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ. It figures his, his blood poured out, his spiritual death on Calvary to his Father for us. So the blood there in Exodus 12 verse 13 anticipated, what did it anticipate? It anticipated judgment. Then what was it? What was God acting in when he would anticipate judgment? Well, that was love. That was love. That was God. Because God's love is very active. It's never static. He's active. So, the blood anticipated the judgment before it came and when it came and anticipated it. And those that were within that sheltered area of the blood were untouched. And that's a beautiful type. Christ is our Passover. He died for us in Hebrews 2, 9 to 18. He's delivered us. Judgment is past for us. There's no judgment that you and I will face. And death can never separate us from him. It's only the door to eternal life, to experience. We have that eternal life right now, but death is only the, uh, the door to an unbelievable, glorious reality. That's all it is for you and I. And we're here just for a little bit. We've said that recently. Jesus said just a little while. He said it in John 
14, verse 19. He said it in John chapter 16, verse 16 and 19, just a little while. And then soon, in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, face to face. The door, death is the door where we see him face to face. We don't see him now, but we love him in 1 Peter 1, 8. Whom having not seen, you love. And you rejoice with a joy that's unspeakable because you know that God, in who he is and his love for us, has always been for us, never against us. It's not a single thought in him. Why? Because God is love. And God does not think evil. No, no, he doesn't. And his love for us doesn't miss a single thing about us. So the blood anticipates the judgment. And those that were within are untouched. But that blood meant even for every Israelite or every Egyptian. It didn't matter who. Whoever was in there, in that blood-stained entrance, judgment would pass over. Why? Because... All have sinned, in Romans 3, verse 23, and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin, in Romans 6, verse 23, is death. It is. But what do we have in the life of Christ? That's what we have. The wages of sin is death. But we have this beautiful life in Christ. And so, we have been delivered. Hebrews 9, Verse 27, well, is it a point? it's appointed unto man once to die, it says, and then the judgment. But for us, there is none. There's none. None for us. There's just this life that we have, this life that's ours, this life is Christ in Colossians 3, verse 4. So, those that were within that sheltered place, that type of Christ, they, death they had to meet. They had to meet it. Then they had to pass through it and then leave it behind them. You and I in Christ, by his grace and by him, we have met death. We have passed through death. Romans 6, verse 9, He that dies once, dies no more. And we pass through it, and we leave it behind, just like they did, just like those Israelites did. Before they can be freed from Egyptian bondage, they had to meet death, pass through it, and leave it behind before they would leave Egyptian bondage or their feet would ever leave that Egyptian soil, which is, again, a type of bondage. Under Pharaoh, a type of the enemy in the world system. So, in Egypt, in Exodus 12, verse 1, they must keep the Passover. They must keep that Passover. <clears throat> now, as we can see in that picture and in that type, 
There's no progress that's, that they've made. There isn't any progress up to that point. None. But one thing is for sure, that God himself is moving toward the accomplishment of his own purposes and their salvation. Oh, we can rest in the fact that Christ is our salvation because God Almighty is involved in his own purposes for our salvation. He's involved in every single aspect of our life. Everything. He doesn't leave a single thing undone. It's his purpose in our salvation. He is accomplishing his own purposes in our salvation. But to them, those Israelites in type, as well as to you and I, to where God's mercy comes, it comes exactly where we are. They didn't make any progress. They were in bondage. And in bondage, they were in a sheltered place. And right in that place, mercy comes. And it comes right to where they are. We've explained by the grace of God the difference between grace and mercy. This is the description of mercy. Mercy goes into his tender, compassionate affectionate love, mercy. And mercy is God not adding to us or putting to our account what we deserve to get. Because in mercy, Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, stood between us and the outraged holiness, integrity, and justice of God the Father. He stood in between us and God. Mercy came right to us in this guilty place. Christ stood in between and the blow that you and I should have taken, the smiting, the blow, he stood in between and he took the blow. Because what should have been added to us, God and mercy subtracted from us and added to Jesus Christ. That's mercy. That's mercy. Listen, that is God and his love for us. And don't you and I ever receive anything short of the reality of that. Because then we're thinking lower than God thinks of us in his son. So mercy is you and I not receiving from God what we deserve to get. And grace is you and I receiving what? So again, mercy is God not giving us what we deserve to get. He subtracts it. But God in grace adds to us what we don't deserve to get. <laughs> That's the difference. In Ephesians 2.8, we are saved by grace 
not another thing. Listen, we are saved by grace, and that grace that saved us keeps us. 1 Peter 1, verse 5, we are kept by the power of God. We said recently, Christ, in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 24, Christ, the power of God. And oh, what wisdom. He's wisdom. Christ, the power of God and wisdom of God. So here we see that again, his mercy comes right to where they are. Listen, that's what we have. In Hebrews 4.14, we have a high priest. In verse 15, he, it's not that he can't be touched by our feelings of our infirmities, but he can. Because he was tested in all points like you and I, yet without a sin nature. So we're to come boldly to the throne of grace. What kind of a throne? Where do we approach him? Where he's seated and resting? It's a throne of grace. A place where he will constantly give us what we don't deserve to get. So this is a picture and a beautiful picture. It comes right to where we are. But in this process, in Matthew 4 verse 16 brings it out, in this process, there's plenty of exercise and plenty of experience and experiences in this condition. And there's plenty of effort of self-help that has to be exercised and taken out of us. Because it gets in the way of a love that's for us. But all this does here in this picture that we see is it confirms the fact and it, God wants to confirm it to us in our thinking. It's a finished work for us. In John 19 verse 30, it's finished. He finished the work and he wills. It's his will and his doing in us in Philippians 2 verse 13. But the fact is this and it confirms that fact that no advance is made in the path of God. And it can't, can't even be towards God until the shelter of the cross is reached and known and experienced. And that's very key to our experience of the God of love, the God that loves us. They sit in darkness. That's where they are. They, they're sitting in darkness and they keep the Passover in Egypt, the type of the land of bondage. And so we see there in those 14 verses that we read, those 13 and 14 verses in Exodus 12, there's pre the preceding months of the year. Remember what we read? Those preceding months of the year were blotted out. Isaiah 43, verse 25, Isaiah 44, verse 22, Hebrews 8, 12, and Hebrews 10, 17. He blots out our sins as a thick cloud. What does that mean? He doesn't know us after them. 
because they've been dealt with in the cross. He doesn't know us after our failures. He doesn't know us after our bad, worst day. And our feelings have nothing to do with what God thinks about us. But when I think with him, boy, will I have the greatest emotional feelings. The right kind of feelings will follow when I have right thinking. When my mind initiates to me the very, and even that's even grace, by the way, and even he must do that. And I must depend upon him as he does it. He's doing it all because he's done it all. And he can only do in us, and he's the only one that can do in us what he's already done for us. And this involves what God the Father gave, Christ the Son accomplished, and the power of the Holy Spirit brings it out in beautiful truth and reality in our very experience. So they sit in darkness, and they keep the Passover in Egypt, the land of bondage. But again, remember, the preceding years, the preceding months of that year were blotted out, and God begins fresh for them with the Paschal month. How new is it for us when Christ the antitype has finished it? What a new beginning. What does it mean for us? Old things in 2 Corinthians 5.17 are passed away. They're not in the process of passing away as far as God views us and sees us. Old things are passed away. Behold, (laughs) behold with him. All things are new in Christ Jesus. You are new. Should I know myself after the old if God doesn't know me? Should I know myself after my past? And by the way, even all, and I don't want to sin or use grace as a license in Romans 6, 1 and 15, but are all my future sins past in his eyes? Yes. I am not to know my, and furthermore, I am not to know God in in thinking that he does. Let God be true. Let God be true in Romans 3, verse 4. And anything outside of him, a lie. A lie. So God begins afresh. Why? Because grace gives them this new beginning. We have a constant, eternal, new beginning in him. That's our place. That's our position. And God wants it to be our experience. And so that's what grace does. And it can do nothing kinder than to blot out the past. Oh, yeah. And grace has done it through Christ. And that's the truth. And so it is with our history. Until that which is the antitype is known. Very important to know Christ. And to get into our experience what Christ has done about our position Our history is history with him. It's gone. The past is over. We have a beautiful present and a glorious future. Our previous history, though, 
has its use as a lesson. Absolutely no doubt it does. But it's in that sense that not all is lost. Because instead of forgetting it, it will abide in profit for us forever. We can see what he's done about it. Oh, we can look back and see in our worst day and our worst sins, he was for us. His love, hating the sin, but loving us. And not knowing us after it. And never attaching our failures to us. Ever. But to his son, the Passover. Christ, our Passover. He is our Passover. So he does not remember our sins and iniquities when he treats us as if these never happened. Of course God knows all things in 1 John 3.20. He knows the whole sin. But he doesn't know us in Christ after them. No, not at all. And that's a fact. He treats us as though they had never happened. When, when we can find nothing whatever in his conduct towards us which indicates his remembrance of them. Think about that. There's nothing in his behavior or the way he acts towards us that has any remembrance of them at all. Now there is an accuser in Revelations 12.10 so that when these thoughts come you know exactly where they come from. He, Satan, is an accuser of the brethren in Revelations 12.10. That's where those thoughts come from. Listen, your mind and my mind doesn't produce them any more than a computer produces what it's information of itself. Any more than that. He doesn't remember them. And there's nothing in his, his action towards us that does. Why? Because when not only they are no more a shadow in our heavens. Oh, no. Nothing between him. Listen, he settled everything. He has settled everything. And when I understand and fellowship with him, then I'm settled inside in everything. Because Christ is our Passover. We can all say Christ is my Passover. He's mine and I'm his. The veil has been rent. And God doesn't even want a single little speck. He doesn't want a single tiny little speck, even in the sunshine of his perfect love for us. He doesn't want a speck. Because he's satisfied with who Christ is in us and who we are in him. And that's what that Exodus 12, that 12th chapter is a shadow of is a type of. He's not remembering. Why? The veil has been rent. The veil that love draws so surpassingly glorious. And remember when he was on the cross in Matthew 27, I believe it's verses 45 and 46, it was dark. 
But even that veil of that darkness, when he was crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was a veil that love drew over it. And it was so surpassingly glorious that even the glow of that glory of it enables us to look back and know that it's dealt with. As well as it leads me forward. <laughs> Remember what he told them in Exodus 14? In Exodus 14, verse 13, he said, I want you to stand still. I want you to be calm in your thinking. I want you to rest in my thoughts. I want you, in Zephaniah 3, verse 17, to rest in my love where I'm resting. And then you will see, it says, then you will see the salvation of the Lord. For the battle is the Lord's in Exodus 14, 14. The battle is the Lord. Satan wants us to get into a battle and into a struggle with lies. Because in truth, in Christ, everything is dealt with. Everything is settled. And we're to stand still. In faith, a faith, a dependence that rests in him and in his love for us entirely. We're to stand still. And then we will see the salvation of the Lord because the battle is his, not ours. And when we understand that, in Exodus 14, verse 15, we go forward. We go forward. We think right thoughts. Let this mind be in you. In Philippians 2, verse 5, let this mind be in you. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 16, listen, we have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is the perfect will of the Father. We, in Ephesians 1, 6, are not going to be, we are accepted in the Beloved. We're all fair. Song of Solomon 4.7, you are all fair. Look and listen to what he says. You are all fair, my love. Wow. There's no spot in you. Song of Solomon 7 verse 10, his desire is toward me. Huh. Yeah, those are his thoughts. Those are his thoughts. That's what he's done. That's what he's accomplished for us. Is God for us? Then who can be against us? God for us in Romans 8, verse 31. And we've said this before. We'll close with this. In many translations, it says, if God be for us, who can be against us? But in the original languages, it is a first-class fulfilled condition 
It's if and he is. So it is since God for us who against us. And really, the original literally is God for us who against us. If God is for us in his love, and he is, then what can be against us? What can be against us? When I cry out to God, in Psalm 56, verse 9, when I cry out to God, then my enemies will turn back. What are our enemies? Thoughts that don't originate from God. Thoughts that don't originate from his love. They don't originate. They're not from him. Not at all. He knows his thoughts towards us. He knows his thoughts towards us. Their thoughts of peace are not evil. He knows the plans for us in Jeremiah 29, verse 11. He knows them. He knows it. He knows us in Christ. Thoughts. Those are his thoughts towards us. They never change. God will never change his mind about a love that will never let us go, never forsake us, never leave us. In Hebrews 13, 5, Joshua 1, 5, I will not fail you nor forsake you. So those thoughts, if they're not from him, what are they? Is there any truth in a thought that's outside of who God is? It's all a lie. So immediately we know this, that the weapons of our warfare in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4 are not carnal. Listen, but they're mighty through God. The battle is the Lord's. They're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. What's a stronghold? It's where an imagination hides. Casting down imaginations. Something that's not real, that can only be based upon a lie. Casting down imaginations. And every high thing from the atmosphere, every high thing that what? Exalts itself, listen to what it says, against, it's against the knowledge of God. And what is the knowledge of God? It's a love that passes knowledge in Ephesians 3.19. So the lie comes in in the form of, of an imagination because it is against God's love for me. It can't change it positionally, but it wants to affect the experience. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and having a readiness in you to revenge all your disobedience. What's disobedience? Well, just not trusting his love. And having in a readiness with his love that will revenge all that disobedience. 
when your obedience is fulfilled. Listen, is our obedience fulfilled in Christ? Did he do everything that we couldn't do? Did he finish it? We have the mind of Christ. We have it. And it's all the power and all the wisdom we'll ever need. So, Father, we thank you. Praise you for your truth, for your word. Thank you for these types of so much that we can glean from. Even the numbers, the first day, the uh, Christ where he was 10 days, then it was 14 days. All of these things are so expressive and such full of meaning about what was accomplished by Jesus Christ on Calvary. As his love to his Father for us was poured out. So we thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening in. We hope you were blessed and God was glorified. Feel free to go to our website at awordofgrace.org for daily posts and teachings.